through the hallways of academia and on the face of the moon the footprints of conquest haven't left us any room to say Greetings and welcome to the 15th edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. My name is Amanda. I just recently joined the team at WLRN, and I am our youngest member. I am a college junior studying theater and computer science. I am delighted to have joined the wonderful team at WLRN, and I hope to continue to lend my efforts and support to even more radical feminist ventures in the future. Today's podcast is about women's spirituality and alternatives to patriarchal religions. We will hear from Tizzy Hyatt, priestess of the goddess ordained by the Reformed Congregation of the Goddess International. Terry Strange, feminist witch and YouTube vlogger, and from Carol Christ, editor of Woman Spirit Rising, a feminist reader in religion. In addition, Sekhmet Shiawal offers up our totally excellent radical feminist commentary for this month's edition, Roasting Patriarchal Religion with Her Words. But first, stay tuned for our WLRN headlines for this Thursday, July 6, 2017, as prepared and read by yours truly. Summer is festival season, and WLRN is happy to report that women will be gathering July 21st through the 24th in the Redwoods for Wolf Festival near Crescent City, California. Registration for this annual event is closed. The Michigan Framley Reunion, a Mitch Fest Remembrance event, will take place August 4th through the 7th on a farm near Wayland, Michigan. Tickets are still available for this women-only event featuring Betty, Kristen Ford, Mimi Gonzalez, and other beloved performers. For more information and to buy your ticket, visit www.michiganframilyreunion.com. Popular feminist YouTuber Magdalene Burns has just notified her fans via Twitter that her brain tumor, quote, couldn't be completely resected and is an astrocytoma, which is a type of brain cancer that is incurable, though not untreatable. It is still unclear what the exact prognosis is. To donate to Magdalene's PayPal, go to paypal.me slash Burns or become a patron donor at patreon.com slash Magdalene. A controversial bill has recently been passed in Ontario, Canada. 
The Supporting Children, Youth, and Families Act of 2017, or Bill 89, repeals and replaces the former Child and Family Services Act that governs child protection, adoption, and foster care services in the province. It adds gender identity and gender expression as factors to be considered by child protection services in the best interests of the child. Bill 89 strips parents of the right to direct the child's education and religious upbringing. Instead, parents must raise the children in accordance with the child's creed, community identity, and cultural identity. Many parents are concerned that if they refuse to wholeheartedly support their child's chosen gender identity, which may include providing medical transitioning procedures, it could be considered abuse and grounds for CPS to take the child away. Critics of the bill refer to it as, quote, totalitarian and have launched a petition calling for its repeal. The petition on the LifeSite News website states that, quote, Christian parents cannot be forbidden from adopting children, and the liberal government has no right to seize our children over phony transgender ideology. As of June 25th, the petition has garnered over 14,000 signatures. On Sunday, June 25th, hundreds of women occupied Santo Domingo, the capital of the Dominican Republic, to demand lawmakers approve a bill that reforms the country's criminal code that places a total ban on abortion. The demonstration included a communique that argued that the criminalization of abortion is a violation of the nation's constitution, as well as international agreements signed by the Dominican Republic as an attempt to safeguard women's reproductive rights. Earlier this month, the Senate of the Dominican Republic voted to maintain total criminal penalties on abortion. The vote goes against President Danilo Medina's request that abortion be decriminalized in three circumstances, in pregnancies which threaten the mother's life, are the result of rape or incest, and where the fetus will not survive outside the womb. The bill is now being debated in the Legislative Commission of Justice in the lower chamber, where a majority of the commission does not favor any decriminalization attempts, according to estimates by lawmaker Farid Rafool. Currently, women who have had an abortion in the Dominican Republic face imprisonment of two to three years, and any health professional who facilitates or assists in abortions may be punished with four to ten years of jail time. The Dominican Republic has one of the highest death rates for women during pregnancy, childbirth, and the postpartum period, with 106 fatalities per 100,000 births. About 12 to 13 percent of maternal deaths during birth occur during illegal abortions. As a result of these laws, in 2012, Rosora Almonte, a teenager suffering from leukemia, died from hypovolemic shock after she was denied life-saving chemotherapy because it would have affected the seven-week-old fetus she was carrying. Bill Cosby now plans to hold town meetings to educate young men on how to handle and avoid sexual assault accusations. The announcement was made by Cosby's spokespersons Andrew Wyatt and Ebene Benson, who said that part of the motivation to hold these meetings was to educate young men about the dangers of false accusations. Benson said, quote, People need to be educated on a brush against the shoulder. Anything at this point can be considered sexual assault. Unquote. She also said that people need to be vigilant about the statute of limitation laws for sexual assault cases being extended. The town halls will take place in Birmingham, Alabama, in July. This comes after the judge in Cosby's sexual assault case ruled a mistrial after two jurors created a deadlock. The district attorney has vowed to retry the case. Cosby currently faces three counts of felony aggravated incident assault from a 2004 case involving an employee at Temple University, his alma mater, 
she was the first of more than 50 women who have accused Cosby of sexual misconduct. Women in Saudi Arabia have recently been granted more freedom under male guardianship laws. King Salman has issued an order allowing women to benefit from government services such as education and health care without needing their male guardian's consent. According to Maha Akhil, a women's rights campaigner and director of the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, this could mean women are able to study, access hospital treatments, work in the public and private sector, and even represent themselves in court without needing the consent of their guardian. This is the latest in a series of moves in Saudi Arabia to include more women in the workforce as the kingdom moves to diversify its economy and cut its reliance on oil. Still, Saudi Arabia was ranked 141st of 144 countries in the 2016 global gender gap, and Saudi women continue to fight for their most basic human rights. In September 2016, around 2,500 women in the KSA directly bombarded the king's office to demand an end to the guardianship system, and activist Aziza al-Yusef delivered a petition with 14,000 signatures that called for an end to the highly restrictive laws. The state of Missouri is considering a bill that would grant employers and landlords the right to discriminate against women on the basis of their reproductive health choices. Senate Bill 5 was first passed by the Senate on June 14th following 10 hours of negotiations behind closed doors in a special session called by Governor Eric Greitens. Greitens called state legislators to the Capitol this summer specifically to overturn a previous ban on such discrimination, which Greitens said had made St. Louis an abortion sanctuary city. This came two months after a federal judge struck down two Missouri laws that prevented clinics from offering women abortions. Senate Bill 5 would allow landlords to refuse housing to women who take birth control or who have had abortions. Similarly, employers could fire female employees or refuse to hire women who have made those same reproductive choices. The Missouri House met to vote on the bill on June 20th and were greeted with a silent protest in which 11 women were dressed in red robes and white bonnets, costumes from the TV show The Handmaid's Tale. One protester carried a sign that read, The Handmaid's Tale is not an instruction manual. Nevertheless, an amended version of the bill was approved and included even more anti-abortion restrictions. Among other things, the amended bill requires abortion clinics to undergo unannounced annual inspections. It limits the regulation of so-called crisis pregnancy centers, anti-choice clinics that misinform pregnant women in the effort to trick them out of abortions, and it gives Missouri's anti-choice Attorney General Josh Hawley the power to prosecute potential violations of Missouri's targeted regulation of abortion providers' laws. The House's amended bill will be reviewed by the Senate, changed if necessary, and, if passed, will head to Governor Greitens' desk where it will most likely be signed into law. In more positive news, the city of Berlin may soon make sexist advertising a thing of the past. Under a measure proposed by the Social Democrat Left Party Green Party Coalition, sexist ads on all state-owned advertising spaces would be banned, and a special committee of expert judges would be created to determine on a case-to-case -case basis if an advertisement should be banned under the new guidelines. These guidelines include depictions of women who are, quote, weak, hysterical, dumb, insane, naive, or completely controlled by their emotions, and advertisements in which, quote, a woman is barely dressed and smiling without reason, while a man is completely and comfortably clothed. The center-right Christian Democrats, Chancellor Angela Merkel's party, oppose the ban because they believe it is an issue of politicians interfering in the free market. 
The centrist Free Democrats also claim that billboards are protected through laws on freedom of expression. Berlin's district of Kreuzberg Friedrichshain has already banned sexist advertising on 28 publicly owned billboards since 2014. The local councilwoman and equality commissioner Petra Koch-Nobel has said that no complaints have been filed against ads since then, which shows that advertisers have become sensitized. If the ban is passed, Berlin would join Paris, France as cities that do not tolerate sexist advertising. Earlier this year, Paris introduced a measure that bans advertising of a sexist or discriminatory nature on the municipal display network. Mother Earth, we feel you in our bones. Walk in beauty on the land. Mother Earth, we sing to your stone. Voice of power and healing hand. Mother Earth, we feel you in our bones. Walk in beauty on the land. Mother Earth, we sing to your songs. Voice of power and healing hand. Mother Stop Earth, we feel you in our bones. Watch the fire Walk in beauty and release on the land. was Elemental Circle by Jana Runnels. We now turn to an excerpt of an interview Thistle Pedersen did with Tizzy Hyatt, ordained priestess of the Reformed Congregation of the Goddess, and proud new owner of a store and temple space called Goddess Within in Des Moines, Iowa. She holds a degree in Goddess Spirituality from the Women's Theological Institute, the training branch of RCGI. Welcome, Tizzy. Hi, Thistle. It's great to have you on our show. If you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you discovered the Reformed Congregation of the Goddess, what it is, and what it was like to decide to go through their priestessing program. So it's the Reformed Congregation of the Goddess International, and it is rcgi.org for those who are interested who want to find out more. I heard about RCG, because it's awfully long to say the whole thing, so we just call it RCG. I heard about it 19 years ago at a class um, that Lydia Rule she is a woman who's passed now, but she was a, a worldwide known goddess scholar and artist, and she did a workshop in Des Moines, Iowa, where I'm from. And I went to the workshop and met a woman there who was taking the, at that time it was called Sela, 
priestess training program. It's now called the Women's Theological Institute. Uh, they've expanded it. And I was standing in a circle with a room full of strangers. We were holding hands, and I'm holding hands with this woman, and she's introducing herself. And she says her name, and she said that she was in this program, and I got goosebumps from her hand all the way up to the back of my neck and down the other way. And I I knew as soon as she spoke the words, I was like, oh, I came here to meet you. I came here to learn about that program. And uh, that was February of 98, and I moved to Madison, Wisconsin in July of 98 to do the program where uh, the group was founded. You, you can do the priesthood training from anywhere. Um, now it's, of course, available online, but there's, there's people who do it all over the country and outside the country as well. But I wanted to move where the heart of it was. So we moved from Des Moines to Madison so I could do my training because, for me, I had already been looking for what I called witch school in my mind, but as soon as I heard it, I was like, priesthood training, yes, that's what I want. I, I was all in the minute I heard it because I knew I, I had been looking for it for quite a long time and didn't know it existed. And that was, it was just a perfect match for me. So I... I, I went and went to one of their gatherings, and which is where I met you, and I loved it. And I went to my first summer weekend with a group of women in Minnesota, and I was 24 when I started, and I literally got out of the car, and I'd only met one woman before, the one I met at the circle in Des Moines. She told all of her sisters that I was coming, and they were so excited that there, there was a new woman coming, and they were frankly really excited the young woman was coming. I got out of the car after driving to Minnesota with her, and literally this group of middle-aged plus women greeted me with open arms and hugged me like I was their long-lost niece or little sister, and it was just amazing. They were so kind and warm and welcoming, and that was my introduction. And as you can imagine, that look, look I still, I'm still here 19 years from here. How long was the process that you went through to be ordained? Um, it's a six-year training program. So um, cycle one is one year. Cycle two is two years. Cycle three is three years. It's a, a little bit like sort of being, if you think about it, like being a sophomore, junior, senior in college. A little bit like that, where you start off with the basics and you get a good framework and then you, uh, you go more in-depth about what it is you're particularly interested in and then you really dive into cycle three, actually doing the things that you're looking to do when you graduate. So it's very much of a self-directed program. It's not like traditional school at all. Uh, RCG is all about self-determination. So there's a framework, and if you read the framework and you're interested in it, then you join one of the fellow groups, or I should say WPI groups, you can tell them, before the, before the languaging changed. You join a Women's Theological Institute circle that's somewhere local to you, or you can do it online. And then, really, I would say that WTI is a personal growth program that has a humongous, amazing spiritual component. As you learn more about God of spirituality, you learn more about yourself. And the deeper you understand yourself, the more that you dive into becoming the next best version of who you want to be. And then, all of a sudden, you're doing things you couldn't imagine you'd do just a few years before. I tell people, if they want to start the program, to order the workbook and and just read cycle one, because if they order it and they read all the way through to cycle three, a lot of people will become intimidated. Women will think, I could never do what it's asking me to do in cycle three. This is crazy. I can't do this. And I've heard that so many times because part of what I did was I worked at the mother house. Um, that's the headquarters of RCG. I worked there while I went to school. So I used to do this all the time. I would explain WTI to people who called on the phone. And that was the number one thing I heard women say was, I couldn't possibly ever do what they're asking me to do in cycle three. How could I begin now? And so I just tell people, I'm like, don't even read it. Because by the time you get there, three years or plus in, 
you will have been so transformed you may not even recognize part to yourself because things that you've been conditioned to think in patriarchy are true, you find out are not. And it gives you empowerment and freedom and you shed old layers of yourself like so quickly it's amazing. And I've watched women transform themselves again and again and it's really amazing to watch. It's a heck of a transformation. How many of the ordained priestesses go on to create a congregation and be, you know, be the priestess for their congregation? Hmm, that's an interesting question. We, RCG believes there's more than one way to priestess by far. Not all the priestesses who get ordained are the kind of priestess who would start a congregation. I'll give you for instance. You could be a creatrix priestess, which basically means any kind of artist, including a writer. So your work might be that you write books. Your work might be that you create woven cloth. Perhaps you're a statue maker. So your calling may not be to start a circle or a congregation locally. Some people who are ritualists or organizers, those are some of the paths you can follow, they might be the kind of people who would start a group, who would who would convene a circle, who would lead something. But not all priestesses do things the same. We're called to different paths and gifts. And that's something I really value about RCG is that we honor that. Earthwalker is one of the paths you can follow as uh, in WTI. Earthwalker is somebody who is an activist, who is called to make change. Um, and so that person might be very active in saving the local water from being polluted. That person might not start a clarification because they're actively, you know, fighting the corporation that would pour poison in their local water. So it's, it's not the same for each woman. As the goddess calls her to her service, therefore she answers. RCG does not place expectations upon you about what that might be. Some women, that is to start a circle or a group or a congregation or to build a temple. It's, it's really dependent upon each woman's gift. And with all the ordained priestesses we have, I can tell you no two are alike. We are actually amazingly diverse, even though we're all ordained priestesses of RCG. And we, we do, we get called to our work in different ways. It's a joy to
That was War in Peace by Sex Witch. WLRN was also able to speak with feminist witch and YouTube vlogger Terry Strange about her practice of witchcraft and how it is part of the wide world of women's spirituality. Terry Strange is a radical lesbian feminist witch dedicated to uplifting the status and lives of women and girls around the world. Her work blends feminist theory, women's history, and culture with spirituality and self-work. She yearns for all women to throw off their chains and to transform the world. Here are excerpts of the interview Sekhmet Shiawal did with Ms. Strange for WLRN's 15th edition. Why do you think so many feminist women gravitate toward witchcraft, Wicca, and goddess spirituality? Well, I mean, I think, for one thing, a big part of witchcraft and different forms of occult and esoteric practice and philosophy has really been about getting human beings to live up to their full potential. So, you know, you work through your problems, you work through your base nature, and you try to improve yourself. That's kind of the goal of most of everything I've studied. That's basically the idea that you're trying to improve yourself and and become a more perfect being in the world and make a better impact on it and not just be subjected to it. I think, too, for women, a big aspect of it is the fact that a lot of patriarchal philosophy is about splitting our minds from our bodies. I think that's a big part of why women gravitate towards goddess worship, specifically, or witchcraft. They want to reconnect fully and be fully present. And I think for most women walking around and living in the world, um, I call it the state of possession, you know. I'm not the only one that calls it that, though. But, you know, I've, I've talked about it in detail on my YouTube channel. You know, women are divorced from themselves. And this is a tool to help them be more present, be more focused, and to be more alive. It helps you, in a lot of ways, reclaim so many aspects of your life. Or not to feel that you're always at the receiving end of things, but that you can make an impact. It's an empowering belief system, whatever path you go down. I think, really, it's about empowerment. And I say that in terms of taking power back and feeling powerful. It can give women a sense of, really feeling that they are powerful. And I think that's important. You can't change the world if you don't feel that you can make an impact. You know, I think, too, another thing is it's about discovering yourself as a woman. I think that's why a lot of women get into these paths, because we don't know who we are as a people. What we know about ourselves is what men have taught us. So in order to figure out who you are, you've got to go, well... Who were we? What was our history? What were we doing throughout history? And we've always existed. Women have been a big part of society. We've had our own lives, but we don't have any context for really knowing much of what we were doing. And I think studying, like, goddesses and goddess cultures and also reliving that now and keeping those traditions alive is about really honoring females, for one, but also it's, I think, about figuring out who we are and, like, what our power could look like if it was able to fully manifest in the world. What would it look like if we were powerful, like, you know, the goddesses that we look up to are, you know, or that we work with or that we venerate or ask for favors. I think it's about, too, looking at examples of female power and drawing from that. That's the thing as well with specifically goddess worship or oriented practice. That's what women are looking for and why they gravitate towards it, even if it's maybe considered 
I mean, I've definitely gotten criticism from women that it's just woo-woo or nonsense, but it's helped my life tremendously, and every woman that I've known that has gone into this path and started doing it has really come alive again fully. So I think that's important. And I'm not saying you have to do it to become fully alive, but for me, it definitely was the case. This was the path to full awakening. The thing with witchcraft and any study of the occult is belief isn't really required always. You know, there's permission to be agnostic too with it. So you can dip your toes in. And I think it's a safe place for women to explore spiritual experiences as well without having to like subscribe to maybe things that they aren't comfortable with. It's a place where you can be more discerning and use your own judgment. So I think that's what is attractive as well and why it's something that women easily gravitate towards. Do you think that female-only psychic space is a thing? And if so, why is it important for women and feminists to create it for themselves? I do think it is a thing. The thing about it is, though, it's not an easy thing to access really, because it requires a lot of undoing of our own programming to get there, where we can reach a level of consciousness that we can see that the thoughts that we're having aren't necessarily our own. They are coming from patriarchal imprinting and programming. That takes a lot of work, but I do think it exists. I feel that I've achieved it, not every single day, obviously, but in my practice, I I do get there sometimes where I feel like I'm just, I don't know, mentally free in that way as a female, where I know what I am and what my own thoughts are, you know, apart from all of that. So I think that's a really important thing to get to. And I mentioned it earlier when we were talking about how women don't really know who they are. And that's just such an important thing to try and figure out. And that's kind of the message and the meaning of the practice, at least most of the magical practice and work that I do. And, you know, the whole point has always been to get to understand yourself better so that you can create the kind of reality that you want for yourself in this life with your energy and resources. So that's a very hard thing for women to get. I feel that men are trained naturally and know they're taught these things through their socialization very early on, but women just don't get or understand, so we're at a disadvantage when we have to compete compete with them for jobs. This reality that they've set up, patriarchy and wage labor and capitalism that we have to work in, men are at such an advantage because of the psychic space that tells them that they are great and they are powerful and they deserve the things they want and that they're will matters. You know, women end up stripped and beaten out of us, literally. It's a very brutal process, so it's totally reclaimable. It's still there. We just have to go through the most layers of dealing with a lot of the pain and shame and, and guilt that is implanted on us, and that can be from religion, it can be from messages in media and society, but this practice is about unlocking that. So... Yeah, I think it exists, and I think it's really important to get to. You need to know who you are if you need to know what you need to be doing in this life as a woman, you know? Your purpose is is a very important thing to figure out. So, yeah, I totally believe that that exists. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that is our erased and abused mother, 
a spirit because her body means nothing. Because her womanness, her worth, her mind, her heart, her sacrifice, her blood, and her compassion is reviled and resented by her male counterparts. A spirit, because she was murdered in collusion and secrecy, like so many of her indigenous sisters and daughters. They seek our wombs, used as tools to bring forth more filth for them, more war machines. But little do they know that before they were dirty, before they were made beasts, they were pure. They were part of her. They were soft and slow to anger. Our great abandoned and abused mother, her bond broken, her hard work misunderstood and taken for granted, fell in despair and into depression. Left alone while the philandering husband went off in the night, wept in tears as her boys were given to violence and her daughters sold to disease-ridden men twice their age. She glides across the face of the earth, searching for the virtue she once instilled in them, hovering over the beds of her lost children, left weeping in the dark of a world that hates them. In the names of the fathers and sons and thousands of years of patrilineal ancestry, not one of them has been holy enough to match her. And so, a spirit, she stays, hovering amid the cool mists of the morning light and the pink golden rays of sunset in places far away, on promontories and over hilltops, in open-air sanctuaries and in graves. 
from the deep, she rises. Her chthonic power pulsing through our veins, always there, fierce and nurturing, always there, begging her sons to stop fighting, stop hurting and killing. Robbed of her body, of her agency and role as teacher, as doctor, as scientist, as a bringer forth of life and wise woman, she is made into a less comprehensible fog. Toiling still for the sake of her male counterparts who evidently cannot manifest without her. Without her, they are lost. Without her, they wither and writhe in the wilderness of their own making. They shrivel and hide at the first sound of her voice. This nameless, faceless, sexless surrogate. But I find you in the tattered old wood reliefs and under the foundation stones of ancient churches. You are there. through Roman masonry and mosaic floors full of mythological scenes. Your voice echoes and whispers in wide open ecclesiastical spaces. Between the columns where we meet, I see you. Under the warm light of the sun, the icon, a single mother standing on your own amid all this, still there. Next up, we will hear an excerpt of an interview Niall Pierce recently did with feminist spirituality author Carol Christ. Carol Christ holds a PhD from Yale and is a leading feminist theologian and activist. She is co-editor of the path-breaking anthologies Woman Spirit Rising and Weaving the Visions, and author of, among others, Diving Deep and Surfacing and Rebirth of the Goddess. Her new books are Goddess and God in the World with Judith Plasco and A Serpentine Path, her memoir of transformation on the goddess pilgrimage to Crete. 
Information about the Goddess Pilgrimage to Crete can be found at www.goddessariadne.org and you can find Carol's blog at feminismandreligion.com. Did feminism lead you to spirituality, to this idea of goddess spirituality, or did your own spirituality and your life lead you to a new awakened feminism? Well, I think I was always a spiritual child. I had a Christian science grandmother who was raised on a farm, and she taught us that nature was wonderful and magical, and the world was a beautiful place. My other grandmother was Roman Catholic, and from her I learned that the Blessed Mother is always with us, and also, again, a love for life and beauty. And I think that the other thing that really influenced me was that I had a large number of deaths when I was a young teenager. My baby brother died when I was 14 after only five days, and the same year my grandmother died of a terrible cancer, and my grandfather died after being ill for many years. And within the next few years, my father's sister, who was only 40, and his father died. And so I had a lot of spirituality in my upbringing, and then I had a lot of questions about the meaning of life and death that I brought with me when I went to college. So I ended up majoring in religion, and I was encouraged to go on for a PhD, which was very unusual at the time for a woman to do, and also to go on in theology or in religion, which was even more unusual. And so it was actually my experiences when I started my PhD program that (laughs) made me a feminist. I was one of only two women in the PhD program of 100 or so students. The other woman was a nun, and she didn't socialize with us. So I was essentially the only woman. And I was treated very badly. I was told that I probably wouldn't finish my degree. I'd probably get married. I dated a bunch of the guys, but they all dumped me, probably because I was too threatening to them. Not only am I very smart, I was also very, very tall. Anyway, I started looking into some of the theologians that we were assigned to read, some of the parts we weren't assigned, which were about women, and I found out that from the Middle Ages, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, following the great philosopher Aristotle, uh, believed that women were misbegotten males, and that what was lacking in us was a rational capacity, and therefore we were destined to obey our husbands who had a greater rational capacity, and God, who obviously did as well. And then I found the same thing in in the most important 20th century theologian, uh, at least according to my professors of the 20th century, Karl Barth, um, who said that man will always be A and woman will always be B. And in relation to God, God is A and humanity is B. So man is meant to obey God and woman is meant to obey man who will always have initiative, precedence, and authority. And I was totally shocked to find that this was um, this was a theme running all throughout Christian theology. And of course, it shook my face to the core, because I believed that I myself was a rational person, and I was being treated as if I wasn't. And here was the theology that made it all make sense. Of course, my boyfriends and my professors denied that they believed such things, but of course, on some level, they did. 
Wow. So when you say that you went and you studied religion and you were doing a higher degree in religion, religious studies, this wasn't at, you know, a Christian college. This was at like Yale. Yes, it was supposed to not be a Christian university, although the program was very much influenced by the Divinity School, which was a Christian institution. So how did you come into the the goddess spirituality that you're now practicing? It would be an understatement to say that the way I was treated at Yale made me question theology. And then when I found that theology supported the way I was treated at Yale, I had a lot of questions about Christianity. I was also very interested in the Holocaust, and I felt that a good God could not have let the Holocaust happen. And so I ended up writing my dissertation on Elie Wiesel, the Holocaust writer, before he became famous and spent a number of years struggling with the problem of evil. And when I finished my dissertation, I would say I was still a Christian, but I was on very shaky ground because I didn't really believe in the basic doctrines of Christianity, and I had my questions about whether God was good or if God was all-powerful. And while I was finishing my dissertation, I was up late drinking a lot of Diet Coke, that time it was called tab, and smoking, and I started thinking about my own questions. I was writing about Wiesel asking God how he could have let the Holocaust happen, and I started asking God how he could have let the oppression of women happen for so many thousands of years. Why didn't he stop rape? Why didn't he stop wife and child beating? Why didn't he send us a prophet? (laughs) Um, Why were all the prophets male? Why was Jesus a male? I went on and on and on. And then I lay down on my bed, and it was dark, and I just um, lay there quietly. And in the silence, I heard um, what I felt was a voice. It was in my own mind, but it was a voice that didn't sound like mine, said, in God is a woman like yourself. She shares your suffering. And from that moment on, I began to see that there was another way of imagining and thinking and knowing God. And I was looking for God as a woman. And I had no idea where to look. I hadn't, in all of my PhD studies, I'd never studied anything about the goddess. I wasn't a child who was taught Greek mythology. And I looked into some of the Greek goddesses, and I found them lacking. Athena was a goddess of war. She was strong, but I was very much opposed to war, so she didn't resonate with me. I found Aphrodite, but she was portrayed as weak, so the Greek goddesses just didn't make a big impression on me. I looked into uh, some of the other goddesses in India, and I found also a lot of the goddesses in India were involved with war, and I didn't make a deep study, but I, I just didn't find anything I was looking for. And then I found a book called The Hebrew Goddess by Raphael Patai, and that tied back into at least something that was familiar to me, which was the Hebrew Bible. And I discovered through his work that the goddess was worshipped in ancient Israel and Judah, and I became interested in reviving that idea, but none of my colleagues, either Jewish or Christian, um, thought that was a good idea at the time. And so I was very alone. I was struggling. And I got a sabbatical on my third year of teach, fourth year of teaching, and went out to California. And by chance, when my friend Naomi Goldenberg was visiting me, uh, she suggested that we take a free university class. This was a part of the sort of 70s. 
And um, we ended up at the first or maybe the second class that Starhawk had ever taught. She was a young woman, and we were pretty young ourselves. And I was absolutely fascinated with her saying that there was a tradition when the goddess was worshipped. She was understood to be part of nature. And she taught us some simple rituals that night. And from that moment on, I knew that I had come home. I had found what I was looking for. But what I have discovered is that there was a very long time in human history when people worshipped the goddess as the powers of birth, death, and regeneration in all of life. And this was true in ancient Crete, where I lead the goddess pilgrimage tours. And there was a long period of time when there was no war, no warrior goddesses, and there was equality between men and women. And this is what I'm striving to inspire myself and others to create in our own time. You are listening to WLRN. Brought to you by the totally excellent radical feminists at Women's Women's Liberation Liberation Radio Radio News. News. And now for WLRN's totally excellent radical feminist commentary on the subject of patriarchal religion as written and presented by our in-house theorist and commentator, Sekhmet Shiaul. Radical feminism is a movement for global female liberation from all forms of male oppression. And that's why we have to talk about religion. Patriarchal religion, the most popular ones being Christianity and Islam, are belief systems that have supported and enforced male power for thousands of years and continue to instill male values in the female mind, all toward the end of heterosexuality. So often it is religion that makes women into members of the political right, religion that fuels their lesbian-hating, religion that allows them to justify their own woman-hating and male-worshipping ways. Religion is inextricable from patriarchy, and if we want to set women everywhere free from male domination and give them feminist consciousness, we have to understand what religion does to them and refute the lies that religious men tell. Religion is used to colonize women's minds, to make them cooperative with male power. The indoctrination starts early in life for most of us. As girls, we're forced to go to church or temple or mosque. We're taught to pray to an all-powerful, all-knowing male god, to beg him for what we need and to feel guilty when we disobey him. We're taught to kneel before him, submit to him, be grateful to him as the source of all goodness in our lives and life itself. There is no equivalent reverence of a female figure anywhere. There is no female in the individual or collective imagination with such power, knowledge, or creativity. Men designed it this way millennia ago, erasing the goddess that civilizations everywhere once worshipped. Patriarchal religion places a male authority figure in the female psyche, leading women and girls to accept male power over them as unquestionable. Mary Daly said, when the god is male, the male is god. Consider how much more submissive religious women are to the men in their lives compared to secular women. Consider how much farther away women on the religious right are from feminism than liberal and leftist women, and the corresponding religiosity versus secularism in these two groups. While patriarchal religion is not the source of misogyny in men or women, it does an excellent job of enhancing the misogyny already there and excusing political, cultural, and social expressions of misogyny. 
Belief in an omnipotent male deity and his rules for proper living render women compliant with male authority both in the home and in the community. This is why most religious women on the right go along with the brazen misogyny of their men. God told them to be obedient wives and daughters. Patriarchal religion is men's fantasy of their own absolute power, control, domination, and immortality. Rather than some metaphysical truth about the universe or human beings, we should trust male religion to reveal the truth about the male psyche, male ego, and men's deepest desires. So many of these religions are death cults, teaching followers that the non-physical afterlife is more important and rewarding than life on earth, and that suffering and martyrdom are admirable, even necessary. These male-created belief systems have been used as justification for countless wars, terrorism, colonialism, genocide, and oppression, conveniently masking the materialistic and political motives of powerful men as the so-called will of God. The fact that different male-serving religious groups come into violent conflict with each other, yet share similar attitudes toward women, reminds us that misogyny is universal to men, and proves that religion is a tool they use to keep women under control. Why should feminists engage in a political critique and condemnation of patriarchal religion? Because patriarchal religion is a continuous internalizing of misogyny, male supremacy, and female submission to the male. Religious communities are their own patriarchal societies where men rule over women, a way for males to have institutional power in the private sector. Religion also serves to reinforce male power in the domestic and public spheres, especially in countries that have a strong Christian heritage and in Islamic theocracies where religion is literally law. The father rules the family, the husband rules the wife, and a male god rules the universe. That's patriarchy in a nutshell, rule of the father, whether we're talking about the human father or God the father. As long as women are ruled by a male figure in their own minds, they cannot be free from male power in the material world, nor can they replace male values with female values. Goddess spirituality and witchcraft are ways that women take back their minds and reclaim their own consciousness. It's no coincidence that the feminist movement of the 1970s prompted an explosion of goddess spirituality and the development of witchcraft as a more organized, mainstream, accessible practice throughout North America and Europe. Feminist consciousness raising naturally led to a mass exodus of women from their families' patriarchal religions to spiritual exploration, experimentation, and creation rooted in the idea of centering the female. The first step to becoming a feminist is taking back your mind, and for most women that means purging one's consciousness of the male god and everything he represents. Women in the late 20th century, awakened by feminism, turned to witchcraft hundreds of years after Christian patriarchs tortured and murdered millions of innocent women on grounds of their alleged witchcraft. Those feminists turned witches believed for the first time that they could possess spiritual power instead of living at the mercy of a male god. The legitimacy of witchcraft or goddess-centered spirituality matters far less than the spiritual and psychological liberation women achieve by replacing the patriarchal male god with a goddess, or with nature, or themselves. 
It shouldn't surprise anyone that even in the neo-pagan scene, there is aggressive resistance to female-only spirituality, that men insist women continue to include male gods in their belief systems, that both men and women do everything they can to stop even a small group of Dianic Wiccans from creating female-only space to practice their magic and goddess-only rituals, including rituals focusing on female biological processes. Even the men who leave patriarchal religion for paganism demand that women worship their image and give men unconditional access to them. Patriarchal paganism is not much different from patriarchal religions, even if some patriarchal pagans recognize goddesses in addition to gods. Ultimately, patriarchal paganism is still about male domination that takes root in the psyche of followers. And paganism in particular, with its long history of being grounded in the body, makes it easy for men to use spirituality as a means to gain sexual access to women. The desire men have to control women's spirituality and center themselves in it is ultimately about preventing women from developing feminist consciousness. Religion frees men up from having to constantly, actively control women's thoughts. They teach women and girls to brainwash themselves and each other. Kicking males out of your mind often leads to kicking them out of your body and your heart. Men have always known this, which is why they fight so hard to maintain control of female spirituality. As radical feminists, it's important that we acknowledge religion as a powerful tool of male supremacy and one of the most popular methods of passing misogyny down from generation to generation. Feminist consciousness raising seeks to set women free from male belief systems, and this consciousness raising, achieved through feminist discussion and education, is the best way to facilitate women's natural rejection of patriarchal religion. That concludes WLRN's 15th edition podcast for July 6th, 2017. Thanks for tuning in. This is Thistle Pedersen signing off. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please send us an email to wlrnewscontact at gmail.com. WLRN would like to add new members to our volunteer-powered media collective. If you'd like to join our team, please visit our WordPress site and click on Volunteer for WLRN. This is Sekhmet Shiawal. Thanks for tuning in. And I'm Jenna DeQuarto. Thanks to your donations, we were able to get a stock of WLRN t-shirts for our staff, volunteers, and listener sponsors. We only have six shirts left. If you'd like a WLRN t-shirt, click on our t-shirts tab on our WordPress site and let us know. Thanks for tuning in to WLRN. This is Amanda signing off for now. Next month's edition will focus on the money behind the transgender movement and the harms of including the T with the LGB. We will hear from two of the four panelists from the discussion canceled by the Left Forum in May. We always release our handcrafted podcast the first Thursday of every month, so stay tuned for our August 3rd release. Thanks for staying tuned to collectively produced feminist radio here at WLRN. This is Niall Pierce. Until next time, stay strong. But how will we find our way out of this? What is the antidote for the patriarchal kiss? How will we find what needs to be shown? And then after that... Where is home? Tell me, where is my home? Cause gender hurts.